0: Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today on the pod, I'm talking with writer David Anthony, formerly of AV Club, Noisy, and so many others. Before I get into that, just wanted to give a big thank you to anyone who tuned in to episode 1 with Eric Grubbs. If you didn't, you know, it'd be really awesome if you checked it out. But thanks to anyone who, you know, gave feedback, shared the episode, Said nice things online, or you know, thanks to anyone that tuned in. So, yeah, I won't hold you from the episode any longer, David Anthony.
1: stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out, or you don't want to support big box stores, go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup, but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. Let's take a look. I can pre-order DaBaby, Mountain Goats, Mets, and maybe even that new All Right LP. At checkout, just enter discount code spinning out for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me.
0: So I'm talking with David Anthony. People would know you from, you know, AV Club, mm-hmm. Talk House. You know, we could go down the list, you know, things that someone could Google.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, if you Google my name and AV Club stuff will come up or uh, Vice. I did a bunch of stuff for them. I did a series about... Uh, this is a couple of years ago now, called The Shape of Punk, all about like punk records that came out in '98 that were targeting 20 that I think were very influential. Um, yeah, I do a podcast called As You Wear, a podcast by the Klein Trio. I used to do one called No Plus Ones, do a newsletter. Uh, it's just my name, DavidAnthony.substack.com. Um, where I just kind of write whatever I feel like, so that's yeah. Yeah. Uh, more or less the boilerplate, yeah. And I think
0: uh, actually, that Substack, well, that's like a new thing, so I feel like I'm like I shouldn't feel like I'm like 90 years old, like trying to wrap my head around, it. but essentially it's just a digital newsletter. Uh, Substack is. Uh, yeah. 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 And it's kind of interesting. I, I I guess, I don't know if maybe writers don't know how to gauge like what that shift is, or um, maybe this is so inside baseball that people <laughs> wouldn't really want to, but I, you
2: know, but I, I like that people are doing that honestly, but well, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a return to what what the internet was like 15 years ago or even 20 years ago or 25 years ago, which is like a lot of people used to have blogs where they would just write about whatever. Um, and, you know, I think we saw, I would say probably 15-ish years ago with, where a lot of those blogs became websites i'm using air quotes which no one on the podcast will see but that's uh, (laughs) what i was doing but like you saw things that like like a pitchfork or a stereo gum or you know a bunch of others like went from being like a blog a few people contributed to to like a website that like got big interviews and like got an office space and and you saw a lot of that and then you know the digital media boom uh kind of happened where like a lot of these things were making a lot of money and hiring people and that's how you get someone like me at a club and uh you know working there for as long as i did and then uh you know it kind of all collapsed and it kind of all fell apart where a lot of people left i left in 2017 and then you know you saw more people walking away from publications because like they didn't pay very well like it's it's not a uh job i would describe as being like particularly lucrative um and that's tough you know you you put a lot of time and energy into writing stuff and then you know you you, you're like living paycheck to paycheck it's not as glamorous as i think especially because you have to live in like new york or la or in sometimes chicago um And I think, you know, for me, it was just like I left uh, and, you know, was doing some writing for Post Trash, which um, my buddy Dan, who runs Exploding and Sound Runs, and that was fun. And, you know, then freelance for a long time and then just kind of got to a point where I was like, oh, I don't own any of my work. Um, I don't, you know, all those pieces I wrote freelance when I was, you know, uh, an editor or whatever, like if I want to republish them somewhere, I can't, um, if the website decides to take them down, they can like, if the websites folds, they're all gone. And I just kind of wanted to do something that like was my own, you know? And like what, I didn't have to pitch an idea to somebody. I didn't have to like sell someone on something. Like if I thought it was cool, if I, if I felt the impulse to write about something, I could just go and write about it. And, um, uh, that's why I started doing it. And I think, probably that's why a lot of other people started doing it um it's just like all right like we've done enough playing by the rules let's make up our own rules you know yeah Uh,
0: yeah i think it's interesting like as someone that has like personally i have an english degree and so i've dabbled and Mm -hmm. you know but like you were saying uh i had that specific occurrence like i had written a few like you know, show reviews, music reviews, and articles just in general about music. And then when I left, for whatever reason, the site's still up. Um, they just took all my pieces down, you know. So, yeah. like, and then because the reason I figured it out was I went to kind of submit them for other writing jobs, you know, because yep. this is things I wrote, and they're just gone. <laughs> so, it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, you totally just to kind of go off of what you're saying. Yeah, you, know, you don't have any ownership over that writing that you spend so much time you know the little yeah. bit of writing I've done it's like I feel like when I think about doing writing as a career but then when you get like paid like thirty dollars for an article you know and it's like yeah how many articles do I ha-? you know it's like you just do that simple math and you're like I don't know like this isn't you know kind of the life like i would like to do it more but it's like i hear so many stories like yours like that's the reality of the industry Mm -hmm. for people that you know you i mean i know that you love doing it but it's like yeah it's a lot of work like i can't imagine like i don't know why you're not writing right now like i don't you know (laughs) just well you don't know that that i was
2: i was working on stuff up until we started this call on some freelance projects because that's that's the thing is like you know, um, the 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 downside of my approach has always been like, this month has just been crazy. I've been working, you know, all day, every day through the night on a lot of different projects that all kind of came up. And like, I'll just say yes to everything and do it. And you know, um, the newsletter kind of falls by the wayside sometimes. But it's also the one where I'm like, no one's like going to DavidAnthony.stubstack.com every day. And like, where's the update? You know, like it is a little less formal because it's a Mm -hmm. newsletter. Like, yes, it's a website you can visit and like go through an archive, but it's, that's also the thing is, you know, you burn out because to your point, like you're making $30 an article, um, which like people are going to be like, Oh, it can't be that low. And it's like, man, I've made less recently. Yeah. Uh, especially for some like shorter stuff so it's like perspective um but it's just like you know you have to do it so much and it becomes such a grind and it becomes such a thing that like at a certain point you start to not enjoy and when i left av club i was just burned out like i was just like i i'm I was like, I need to take a break from writing about music because when you intertwine the thing that you love most with your profession, you know, there's that old line of like people being like, Oh, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And like, that's bullshit. Like, if you do what you love, you start to hate the thing you love, and it sucks. Um when it becomes that kind of like just like turn and burn type of approach to it. And that's not what I wanted it to be. So that's when I just started like. I dipped my toes back in the water by writing for Post Trash because I was like, Dan's not going to hold me to a rigid deadline. I can just write about songs I like in whatever form. And like, they just, it made me kind of tap back into like why I like doing it. And I think that's the thing is like, I always will be doing it. I'll always enjoy doing it. Um, But I don't enjoy the machinations of the industry. (laughs) I don't enjoy the way it's just like you're a cog in this very big machine where it's like, you know, I'm making on a, you know, if I'm lucky, maybe a couple hundred bucks from a place that's evaluated at a billion dollars. It's like, well, why am I doing that? You yeah. Know? Yeah, actually. Um, yeah. It's,
0: it's kind of hard. Cause I feel like a lot of uh, like the $30 one I was talking about recently, it was like a, it was like a film um, column. So essentially like, I guess, however often I'd want to do it. Um, you know I'd write about like a film and then they would put it online and then they'd pay me like a couple months later and it's like, mm-hmm. like you know it's like so you're already like two hours or so to watch the movie at the research mm-hmm. you have to write it and have to get notes back from the editor and you're doing all of those pieces which is you know you're essentially saying like maybe like six to eight hours of work just that by itself and that's $30 you know so it's yep. like you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And even like other parts of the, uh, you know, industry kind of on the other end, because, you know, I mean, I've worked in like PR, which is where I've kind of worked with you directly and I mm-hmm. run a label. Um, it's like as a whole, the industry just it's like for press, you know, it, you know, this is like so inside baseball. But yeah, I can I can I can see what you're saying about getting burnt out on it. And I'm mm-hmm. even somebody that I've really a hundred percent made it my life.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I had to kind of be a step away from it slightly, you know uh, which is probably like kind of hindered the label or hindered press or even like me and as a touring musician, but it's like, mm-hmm. when it becomes completely everything, you know, I don't you know. And I guess just to kind of like sag into what, you know, we were, we were talking about today, you know, the 2008, album by good luck uh into lake griffey um i don't know I, I it sometimes i i try and think like back to this era if it's just some kind of like weird nostalgia like looking back like oh this was i i don't
2: like to say it's like a better time i guess it was mm-hmm. just like a different time you know it was and i think you know similarly i don't like doing things just from a nostalgic lens of like oh, wasn't it, like, much more cool and magical way back when? Because, like, I don't honestly believe that. Like, cool stuff is always happening. Um, You know, I'm not going to make too many more, like, dumb, like, tired jokes about, like, the pandemic. Like, cool stuff isn't happening, like, right now, right now. But, like, um, I do think it was a weird moment where it was, like, like, I'm probably like, so I'm 30 and I'm, I definitely know kids younger than me. I know I'm calling them kids. I'm 30. uh, Who never mail ordered a record where they had to put concealed cash in an envelope and like cross their fingers. And maybe four months later you got a record, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is how I started buying records. Um, And, you know, then quickly it was just like oh everyone has like an actual online store and like it's easy to get a paypal and blah 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 blah, blah. Um, but i think the era that that good luck record came out in is in this really interesting nexus point between like old school internet and like old school like word of mouth pound the pavement like putting up flyers on like telephone poles styles of diy where they really intersect where it's like you know you were still finding out about stuff a lot i think online through a lot of message boards um you know the social network of like facebook and twitter wasn't really there and there was myspace but even that was almost like kind of a message board in a sense um Mm -hmm because you would just go to a band profile and, and, you know, band MySpaces started replacing band websites, you know? Um, and you would see people like book tours on MySpace and like through connections they made there. But I would still like learn about shows before like there were Facebook invites, like either through like a MySpace thing or like on a flyer, like physically at a show I happen to be at, you know, or like through someone telling me um, like physically so, like, I think it is this weird moment where you see kind of a new wave rising up, but the old ethics and the old approach is still very much there. And then I would say within like four years, the it, it's already starting to shift much more towards purely online. You know, yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes that era so really interesting to me is because now a lot of the historical record is lost because, like, MySpace was scrubbed clean and, like, no one was really preserving flyers in the way that they did in the 80s or 90s, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. bands that I had around that time frame, um, just basically there are no flyers of, like, really any of the shows. The only... um, At this point in 2008, some of those flyers had started making their way onto facebook or other message boards so you're able to find it so there's like a weird era yeah like you're saying the in-between where stuff is just gone you know some Mm -hmm. of it maybe for a lot of the kind of like myspace metalcore time i'm kind of happy that that has been lost you know sure i can't find like my old metalcore bands but Yeah, yeah, yeah um but like it's there yeah there's so much of it lost like even like i don't know if you can just go on like pure volume or Mm hxd mp3 if that even means anything to anyone yeah yeah Uh, so and i and i before i guess like we go forward with it like where did you grow up did you grow up in the chicago area
2: i grew up in uh northwest indiana which um people from chicago and illinois would not say is the chicago area but people from indiana or sometimes gets lumped in the chicagoland area so Mm -hmm. for perspective if you don't know like the city i grew up in i could literally have one foot in the home my hometown and one foot in the southernmost neighborhood of chicago um they literally just butt up next to one another the area I grew up in is the only part of Indiana that's on central time and not Eastern, which is also a weird thing. Like uh, they really should just like cut the boundary line and, you know, let Illinois steal some more of Indiana because it's essentially the same place. Um, so I grew up, you know, like I, I've always put it this way, like from where I sit right now in my apartment, there was no traffic. Like if I could just hop on, drive the speed limit the whole way, I'd be where I grew up in 30 minutes. Okay. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of like to think of like the context of, uh, you know, kind of thinking about like the Bloomington, Indiana scene versus like the Chicago scene. So Mm -hmm. I would assume just geography. um, You had the chance to like see Good Luck a decent amount potentially.
2: Yeah, I did. I saw them. So I saw them in Bloomington, I think only once. And uh, it was very funny because like me and one of my uh, best friends who was like in my first band, my buddy Ramundo, we like, we're like on spring break or something from college. And we're like, wow, we're going to drive to down to Bloomington, uh, Defiance, Ohio, and Good Luck are playing. And like these other bands and the show was $4, <laughs> um, which is like the most Bloomington, Bloomington, Indiana, like folk punk price for a show. um so I saw them there and I definitely saw them you know I saw them at the fest in Gainesville a couple times I saw them most times they played Chicago I think I saw them I I would say six times at minimum um just because you know that's the thing is like Bloomington's like probably two and a half hours from where I grew up which is not incredibly far because like we were kids who had cars and would like all we did was go to shows so like doing a two and a half hour drive wasn't um, insane, but I, I definitely got to see them a lot, kind of along each step of their evolution, from like first record to the demo in between to the to the last record they put out, and then you know they reunited a year or two ago in Bloomington, but I was unable to attend that, but I am sure it was great.
0: Yeah, I I think like well, I couldn't figure out like how much they really toured because I I believe I saw them at Fest, which might have been like Fest Ten.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um and I feel like I saw him another time um but it's, it's just weird to think about or interesting to think about like that year uh specifically mm-hmm. um like 2008 even just to kind of like list some of the records that came out that year uh Lemuria Get Better I believe came mm-hmm. out that year the self-titled Tiger's Jaw record uh Algernon Cadwallader um Uh, some kind of capital came out that year and bridge and tunnel um bridge and tunnel was i feel like a band uh like i I feel like what's also weird about good luck and bridge and tunnel was like how much they've been forgotten at least from my yeah perspective and that's strange because it was like bridge and tunnel out of all of those bands it seems kind of silly saying now but To me, Bridge and Tunnel was the one that hit the road the most. And you just saw them like everywhere.
2: I mean, I saw them opening for Dillinger 4 in Chicago. I saw them opening a small brown bike reunion show in Michigan that was sold out. And like, I saw them at Fest. I saw them on their own in Chicago. Like, they toured. Like, that was not a... and, And that band also really yeah basically unlike all the other ones you mentioned kind of had the pedigree where it was like oh someone was in Ladderman and like Ladderman I think is another band that like in their time were not huge but yeah. like yeah. really built a legacy by the time that last record came out and they were breaking up people were like holy fuck like Ladderman you know um and you know it, it's you know I wrote about it in uh, my last newsletter, but I, I was writing about kind of those good luck in bridge and tunnel specifically, because like, I just remember one, I was super excited by both of them in part because they felt like this is not a dig on any of those other bands. Cause I like them all, mm-hmm. but like they were the ones where I'm like, Oh, they're kind of doing a sound that I like. That's kind of post hardcore and kind of punk and kind of poppy and, kind of like they really felt like they were doing something that was very much their own whereas like lemurie was very much in the power pop tradition Mm -hmm. um and algernon you know people always dog on me for this and i like this record a lot people but like coming up in the midwest i was like i own the cap and jazz discography i don't really need a band that is just doing that and i think algernon got really good when on the fun ep and for me parrot flies where they really pushed out those walls um but it's just it's a fascinating time because i feel like you know one of the things that is also lost and i think there's you know we can get into the why is that like no idea was still a pretty dominant label at that point um and now no idea barely exists yeah but it's weird because i feel like
0: even before that was done i don't you know, I, I don't, re- you know, none of us really have an answer to it. It's like kind of opining, like, why don't people remember? But it's also like, it's like if, like you mentioned in the newsletter where you kind of mentioned like, the thing that you could probably point to Bridge and Tunnel for would be like Braid. Mm-hmm. And I have on so many occasions, like, have told people like, check out Braid. And I feel like it's like a band that I would think they knew they were just like a foundational band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it's like I've had friends that are you know younger than me that are like yeah I only checked out like the balancing composure side like the yep. split I didn't know who braid was and that's like so I guess if it's like a lineage that they're pulling from braid then
2: they, that whole
0: like family tree is dead
2: <laughs> true that's a, that's a really interesting point and it's it's funny because I think we're used to seeing kind of historically usually being first doesn't always mean that you're going to be the one who reaps the benefits of that you know yeah. um, I think we can anything that I think really falls in the punk in hardcore tradition I, I think you can really argue that's pretty consistent throughout the history it's like yes the Ramones were big but they weren't as big as Green Day you know like the those things are very different and you see a pretty clear through line from one to the next yeah um and you know you see a lot of bands where it's like oh well you know i thought so and so like um not that this is a one-to-one but through that period of time and the few years after it's like how is off with their heads bigger than dillinger four and that's not a dig on off with their heads but like you know it was it was a clear reference point you know that they were using um and I think sometimes you're used to seeing like, oh, like, you know, how does how does Joyce Manor get so big when they are clearly referencing like Bust and Shinobu? You know, like it, sometimes it's just like being first doesn't always mean you're going to reap the benefits of it. And with the Braid thing, they're a weird one where like, I don't think that band ever really got to reap the benefits. And I don't think any band that tried to be Braid ever did either. Like, yeah. I feel like they're the, they are the like lineage point where it's just like, great band ton of great songs influenced a lot of people but aside from like the only band i can think of who only kind of peripherally sounds like them is motion city soundtrack like that's really the only one um yeah
0: i mean i think we're kind of the thing we're kind of going around is like even tying all of this to like punk and hardcore like like when you listen to Frame and canvas like To me, I mean, it sounds amazing, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. like, and even when you listen to Good Luck, or you listen to Bridget Tunnel, they're recorded in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's, it's like, there's almost like, like, you have to kind of be a certain type of person to want to take that plunge, like, like, I totally, sometimes I, I, you know, I think about it, like the difference between like, someone that likes sugar and someone that likes Husker do. Mm-hmm. because to me there's no there's not any difference it's just a line yeah one thing to the other but sometimes it's like that's a door to people you know and they don't want to yeah. go on the other side you know and um like and there's so there's so many ways you could use that analogy to think about the difference between like indie and emo but I don't think we're like there yet um yeah you know, in conversation but like I but I wonder if Kind of like that's it. I know I simplified it a lot, but like you know, when you listen to like Framing Canvas or if you compare it to um, what's the post braid band? Um, um, hey
2: Mercedes. Oh my god!
0: Uh, but yeah, when you compare it to Hey Mercedes, like there's definitely a sonic step mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But you know, but sometimes I'm confused by it because there's kind of a sonic step if you even look from uh, Jawbreaker to Jets totally. to Brazil. Hold um, And I don't, you know, I don't know why sometimes people are willing to kind of take that plunge there and not somewhere else. I don't know if we have an answer to it.
2: (laughs) I mean, okay. So I I think you bring up a lot of great points. And I think part of it, you bring up something that I think about a lot and and thought about a lot then, which was the indie rock emo divide. And like, I think we now exist in a moment in 2020. And I would say over the past five years, we've really seen the shift where like, Indian emo are more synonymous so than emo and punk and emo and hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like, I think sonically, I think you know, in a lot of cases, the labels some of these bands are on, and I think the reference points are not part of that lineage. And you know, I to, because I don't want to sound like the oldest old guy. I yeah. think that's I think that's fine. I think it's good for things to evolve and change. Like, I, I don't think kids or younger people need to be de- deferential to stuff that happened fucking 40 years ago. Like that's fine. Um but what I will say is it was really interesting because to me like you know I talked about it earlier like I wasn't a pitchfork reader because they yeah. they shit on Shawbreaker <laughs> and Braid and like bands I liked and they didn't cover the modern bands I liked. And to me indie rock was a thing that like had some similar notes to that era of emo where the songwriting was a little more complex it wasn't as much first chorus first chorus as like traditional punk or pop punk um Mm -hmm. and that always really grabbed me and i like stuff that felt like it was innovating on structure and, and and how these pieces could fit together um but it was always a little more sedate and a little more laconic than I like. You know, I like music that had an energy, and that energy could mean that it's, you know, a singer songwriter playing a really sad, depressing, slow song. Yeah. Um, but I think it's music that was often produced to a in a way that felt a little alien and a little inaccessible. I I, I couldn't as much see the people making it and the personality of the people making it, which is why I never got as drawn in with a lot of indie rock and i feel like in the 2000s onward i think this is a theory that i've said probably on other podcasts i always uh, preface it as like it's going to get me in trouble because people get mad about it but like i think what we're seeing with like the whole like the last few years of like is rock dead is because we started holding up um, a lot of very what i would call like dinner party indie rock bands that were like you know you could go see and it was very polite and cordial and chill and you could put it on the background and didn't have to think about it and then i think really over the past decade we've seen how indie rock really doesn't have anything that um god this sounds so corny that rocks it's all just very like kind of down tempo sedate chill vibe music which like if that's your thing cool but that's not my thing like it's it's never really been my thing and i always viewed stuff like emo and punk and hardcore and like i also love a lot of metal like the way i put it is like i'm into all kinds of music but like i'm definitely more drawn to blast beats than i am like slow four minute songs that don't really go anywhere
0: yeah sometimes
2: i always i feel
0: like it's like I either want a song that's like a minute and a half or i want a song that's like nine minutes same i don't (laughs) It's like like uh and kind of like the going back to i always thought about it like i remember when i would be in like art classes i would always be like the first person that was done drawing or whatever and then i always felt like when i was younger there'd be people were able to go well that's what if you're the first person done even if it's not that great, then other people kind of have some reference point as to where to start. Yep. And you know, so then you're able to say, well, they did that, but I, I think I can take these elements and like do them tighter or whatever, you know. Sure. Um, you know, and there's there's some of that, I think the response like as you go into conversations about like emo revival, mm-hmm. um, which you know, I guess like might get us in trouble kind of having a conversation in that regard about. But I think like what happened like early on with like good luck, even Algernon is like, they were almost looking at a time, like if they were even calling themselves emo, and I don't know if they were, they were looking at a time before that was so like codified. And even the before there was a hot topic version of that. So even going back to Braid or going back to, you know, even like Hoover, like, Mm -hmm. things you know post hardcore I guess like the combination between emo and post hardcore is probably like what they were looking at more like early Jade Tree like Jade Tree before just I guess the MTVification happened which is fine music you know like there's Mm -hmm. stuff that still survives and I'm totally fine with but it's like it's like even looking at like things being on blogs it was like purposely sometimes kind of harder to find Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't exist in a way that they ever wanted it to be as big as like The Used for sure. why I pulled that one out.
2: Oh, I mean, I think that's a good reference point, though, because like that is, uh, The Used is an interesting example because they were a band that never recorded anything. And then like the dude from Goldfinger who would go on to be a like multi-million dollar producer was just like, I heard these songs fly out, come work with me, we'll make a record. And I think you know there there are those two points. Like I, I I never like to hold anything up to like some sort of purity test. Like I actually wrote a big thing about like well I think there's like an inherent failure in trying to like hold art to whatever those metrics are. But what I'm going to say is like the difference is like a lot of the stuff that you were kind of iding in the '90s, braid. Um, I would say like early, I would say even late '80s to mid '90s, like Discord stuff, like that's what i would call post hardcore i remember describing bridge and tunnel as a post hardcore band i like yeah. you know like i don't think anyone had i think we knew how to describe emo but at that time i remember like i had older friends who were like 10 years older than me who were like guys who saw braid at the fireside and like were at the last small Brown bike show at the fireside Where it's like, if we talked about emo, we were like, well, you know, like old emo or like 90s, like we were starting to say that, but you had to put so much preamble in front of it because in 2008, it's often kind of said that like late 90s, early 2000s are the emo boom with like Vagrant Records and like all those bands, like Get Up Kids, yada, yada, yada. And I think the difference is like all those bands to me, and this is not a like, negative or positive they were much the recordings were sounded much better they were much cleaner sounding records and they were much more pop focused like you listen to something to write home about and that's like kind of a pop rock record that just has the tempo driven up a little bit and a little squeakier voice added. you listen to very emergency by the promise ring and it's like that is a power pop record um and i think in the 2000s like emo i would say yes it was initially that wave that a lot of people kind of you know shit on but around the 2004-05 era where my chemical romance hits the used hits um, people start calling that stuff emo and i'm not going to say that they shouldn't but the word emo became synonymous with my chemical romance the used fallout boy panic at the disco all these bands who um, and again, I don't want to make any value judgments, but we were only three or four years removed from that starting, which means that was still happening. Like yeah. the, the copies of those bands were on the Warp Tour and selling well. So it would have been very disingenuous to describe a band like Bridge and Tunnel or Good Luck is Emo because you would have had to write an entire paragraph every time you use that term on a website. To describe their sound and i'm sure the bands knew that too so they probably opted for post hardcore because though that is can be used interchangeably with certain subsets of emo i think you know the thing that is kind of lost in these discussions is like it's not like that moment was over it was still very much that moment of like 2000s warp tour emo bands and i don't think anyone I think any of these bands we talked about who were putting out records at that time, if they labeled themselves as emo one, that was going to just turn off fans of punk, hardcore, whatever. And if it hit people who were into what they were self-describing as emo at that time, they weren't going to like it either. Yeah. So it was a word that was kind of, it was before it got reclaimed because all that stuff died down and kind of died off uh, on the warp tour side. Um, because you can't really be the little guy trying to reclaim the thing from the giant it doesn't often work that way
0: yeah i think like looking at it as just a line from emo to emo to emo really is like leaves out a lot of the conversation one of the thing that i'm thinking of uh, like really it's like they probably this whole scene and everything that is going on in tandem with like was almost probably more of a response to like even like bandana thrash in a way. <laughs> I'm sure, like, yeah. And I, and that's like it feels like it sets up the conversation wrong when I put it already as like a pejorative at the time, you know. Um, but it's like fast punk, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the way that like fast punk bands and the way that we toured around those times or just played shows is way more akin to like what Bridge and Tunnel and Good Luck were doing than like you were saying like anything emo related at the time like these Mm -hmm. were punk bands like it's like to kind of take it out of punk just leaves out so much of the conversation like there would be times where it's like you know i would see i would maybe see in defense or get rad and then the next day or whatever i'd see bridge and tunnel and to me even though it's like a different t-shirt i might wear that night you know, it's like they weren't far away in that realm and they probably would have played shows together.
2: I mean, I, th- I think you're really right on with that assessment because like, I think, you know, a lot of this conversation becomes framed around what was happening in emo, but not what was happening in the hardcore world. And I think the 2000s are a really interesting time because what you see is kind of two things happen. Like I came up through punk, like Green Day being like the first punk band I heard. And then you know by the early 2000s i was into hardcore and i was into crust and i was into all that stuff like anything that fell or even had a light tie to the punk umbrella i was interested in um and i think what you see is like there were you know prior to algernons and, and even bands like grown ups and all that like a lot of these kids were in screamo bands you know right. uh there was Damore who Peter from Algernon was in, I think in like 0405. there was Dietro from France who were really great. There was Lion of the North, which was a Northwest Indiana band where members would go on to be in grown-ups and uh, law dispute and cloakroom. Um, so like that was all happening. There was that kind of bandana thrash scene, but it's also the post-American nightmare world. and mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting point too, because you know, American Nightmare, lyrically that's an emo band my friends like i don't know what to tell you um but i think you're just seeing you know what you're saying like i was playing in like garbage punk and hardcore bands like that's what i was into you know i had a nausea smash racism butt flap like for fucking real and then a few years later while i still love nausea i was like i want to make music that sounds like texas is the reason yeah which like Texas. The reason was all hardcore dudes. You know, like I, I, it was just the natural life cycle of after you do something for long enough, you know, you play in a punk band for a couple of years and then you want to play something even harder. So you play in a hardcore band for two or three years and then you're tired of just playing minute long songs and basements and lugging in gear for 15 minutes. So you start slowing it back down and adding more melody and adding more complexity and you start an emo band. Like, I don't think there was uh, intense calculations, but I do think you know you were kind of seeing this weird moment where I think in the underground in the mid two thousands emo was taking the form of like Gravity Records three one G style screamo, mm-hmm. and then I think those people just dialed down the aggression, and a few years later you get Algernon, you get grown ups, you get a whole host of bands.
0: Yeah, I I remember like just thinking about like growing up it was like the first time I ever had like a punk CD brought to me outside of like anything that was on the radio. Uh, my brother is only like a year and a half older than me was like, here's a no effect CD and here's operation Ivy. And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, so these are both punk bands. And then, you know, the next week it'd be like, here's hot water music. This is also punk. And mm-hmm. then sick of it all scratched surface came in the house and I'm like, this is also punk, you know? And then, <laughs> Then he brought home like Charles Bronson and Spazz, and they were all punk bands and mm-hmm. and so was like social distortion, so it 's like it's everything you know it's like it's yeah. like, what isn't punk you know it was like you know it it was, was like like my my favorite
2: rant. bands of the at the time were crass and alkaline trio, so yeah. like let's you know it, it was it was definitely a thing where, as a kid, I was like i didn't know how to describe a lot of this music because it's just like how do you when you're 14 years old get into the difference between like you said like spaz and even sick of it all you know like what how do you reasonably describe the differences between those two bands to somebody but even when you're just
0: going into what people would comfortably just call punk it's like if someone brings you crass and someone brings you exploited and they bring you subhumans even though those kind of fit in a certain like type of person Mm -hmm. they're very different sounding bands even within like a i put toothpaste in my hair subset of person at the time (laughs) you know like it's like but they aren't sonically the same and so it's like um you know it's but that that's also like what that time frame of 2008 like kind of like felt like to Mm -hmm. me like it was like And I'm not saying, like, I think we've kind of qualified things a lot. Like, I'm not saying that doesn't happen now. But I also feel like it's like there is, it's sort of like, it's like somebody built shops for all of these things to exist in. Mm -hmm. And we used to just hang outside together. You know, I don't know where I'm going with this analogy, but, you know, it's like, there's things set up more to say that you belong here, you know, um, you know i don't think it's a good analogy but
2: <laughs> no no i i i actually think you're hitting on something that is pretty interesting to me and what what i'll i'll build this off with two examples is like to your point to like go back to the 90s emo bands we were talking about and since we've talked about braid i'll use them as the clear example like there's an iconic show flyer from a show at CBGB's where it's braid get up kids ethel maserv and the other bands are spaz monster x and 97a and like that doesn't happen now. No, it, it just really doesn't. And like, I miss that shit. Like to even draw a similar reference point, I saw Dillinger 4 at opening for Atmosphere, the Minneapolis rapper. Um, you, you know, like those were the type of shows I remember going to. I remember seeing, um, you know, and, and, and to draw this to the fest, I think that's one of the big things that I've, when I started going to the fest, the reason I loved it Like I think my first was Fest 7 or Fest 8 right around there. And it's like, oh, that's the venue where I can go see Iron Lung and Asshole Parade and like In Defense and all those bands. And then I can walk across the street. And at that venue, I can see Defiance Ohio and uh, AJJ and Ghost Mice. And then I'll go to that venue and I'll see uh, Good Luck and um, Bridge and Tunnel. And then I'll go to the big venue and I'll see Leatherface and Hot Water Music and like there were stratifications but you were kind of into all of it you know um and if i was in a record store all of those bands would have been in the punk section maybe some in the hardcore section but like usually there's a reason in the record store it's punk slash hardcore yeah and at uh reckless records here in chicago they still their section is punk slash hardcore slash emo and it's been that as long as i've been going there
0: lunchbox records in charlotte it is only punk Mm
2: -hmm. like
0: so all of that that fits in those divisions would it's either something's punk metal and i think rock and so like and so sometimes we were like he's had times where someone would be like hey where's your D beat section and and it's like it's in the punk section. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have a D beat section. You know, it's like something that doesn't feel like it seems way more humorous now, but that was like a big hold of the scene a few years ago in terms of like punk identity.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: like I don't I I don't feel like I I like parsing the difference. And I think that sometimes like that's where the scene kind of went in a direction that I don't, it's like, I don't like in term. I don't like that it went that way, but it's the music that people are creating is still good. So I just, I yeah. it doesn't ultimately matter. But I, mean, I think I, the reason that people wanted to put them in all of their classes created divisions where there didn't need to be.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think, you know, to talk about the industry side of it is like, to you know implicate myself in it like when you're writing when i get to the point where it's like i'm writing regularly for av club in 2013 14 15 whatever i'm selling it to the average consumer who doesn't who probably doesn't even know the like that DB and emo are under the same umbrella or like if i was to describe like 90s emo versus like the twinkly and stuff like they they would have no concept of the difference, you know? And um, it's one of those things where it's like, that's what I think really makes a lot of what changes the changes over the past decade happen is that, you know, a lot more people start winding up like, you know, people I know who are in punk or emo bands start record labels or our booking agents or our managers and, you know, start really taking what I think at the time was still a very like, DIY focused thing. Um, And obviously DIY still exists now, though. I think it's, it's a term that's often misattributed for a sonic sound more than any type of ideology. Um, I I think people are, a lot of writers are often swapping DIY in for lo-fi. But I, I think it gets to a point where like you start seeing like, Oh, well, like I know how to put together a four band package tour, that's all in this very narrow lane because like I'm the booking agent who knows how to do that. And I think, you know, it, it, like anything, things become more specialized over time with the language we use, the, the, the way the industry functions around it and and there's good there. But I I also think it can be difficult because now, you know, like I, I think there's, we're existing in the weird point where we're probably in the first era of younger emo fans who probably didn't come, from more extreme styles of punk in some way, and I think that's just inherently very fascinating. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think like, I and mean, that's definitely true. Like, uh, it's like
0: what they're looking back at uh, would potentially just be, I guess, the kind of radio type stuff or you know, hot topic type stuff, and then they're kind of putting their spin on it. So, like a later era, emo revival is reviving you know it's hard to like it's like the one touchstone i want to use is like brand new <laughs> but mm-hmm. i don't want to use that in this but you know it's like whatever kind of like was that that stature at the time or one of the weird things that i think happened was somehow american football just became the only reference for anything midwest emo and it's yeah. like i like american football It's it's fine you know like i clean my house to it often you know like Mm -hmm. it's totally like it's totally fine you know it's but it's it's only weird that it just became seemingly the only touchdown for a while
2: well well, and i think it's it goes back to our earlier point is there the one that you can most cleanly potentially classify as indie rock yeah like yeah out of any of these bands we've talked about like one could with joan of arc but they were so um experimental and weird that i think even people into more you know odd music weren't really gonna go there um you know and i think we also have the phenomenon of like every band like you know a, again respect to the band but like a band like world is like that's essentially just like a slightly different version of like an Appleseed cast yeah you know um but i i think to your point like the reason an american football hits is like you know i love that first ep and first record like part of that is purely geographical is like i was dealt the cards i was dealt and that was part of your you know you're you're getting into punk and emo in the midwest here's your starter pack you know yeah
0: it feels like the uh it's like the joke in wayne's world i believe where it's like the peter frampton record came with like tide you know yeah it just like came in the mail yeah
2: that's kind of what it felt like (laughs) you know and like i will say you know to its credit like that album cover didn't look like any other album cover really at that time you know even in the 2000s like it was so minimalist and abstract and i think musically like you know the, the band that really opened me up fittingly and this is one that i think you know cast a long shadow over a lot of this stuff even though they would dismiss it would be fugazi like that was the band in punk in hardcore that was like oh songs can be instrumental And like songs can be long and songs can be slow and weird and they're still punk songs. Um, And I think, you know, the Midwest in particular, when you're really kind of breaking it down, uh, there is a strong tie to the post-rock scene, like Chicago in the nineties, you're getting tortoise and sea and cake. And like that scene of bands that are doing essentially kind of what American football is doing. And I think in the present day, people don't even necessarily talk about, those bands as being post-rock because post-rock became the Godspeed style of thing, huge swells, epic songs. But in its early days was just kind of instrumental jazzy music. And I think American football just happened to have vocals, but it's really in that same tradition. And I think when you see, you know, I hate always talking about pitchfork uh, when I talk about these things, but they embrace Tortoise and Sea and Cake and all those bands. It's really no wonder to me that American football is the one that is able to cross over. And I think it kind of goes back to my point of like they're the most like polite dinner party emo band you were gonna get for years and years and years. Where it's like that's not miles away, maybe in terms of like melodic structure, but it's not that different from like or that alienating to a fan of like Death Cab who also come out of emo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I you know, I'm kind of treading back, but I'm just thinking about, like, you know, the Daniel Stripe Tigers and, like, you know, Rain from Italy and mm-hmm. just, like, how much of that was so much of the conversation at yeah. the time in tandem with, you know, like, good luck and all, all of those things, like, so it's, like, I, you know, and maybe we're just of an age, so we don't see it on the swell, and I actually, when I was thinking about, like, your article, like, It's like, I hope that, I think you were saying something along the lines of like, I hope people learn kind of the lessons and I guess properly
2: look at like what's happening now or maybe I'm Mm -hmm.
0: mischaracterizing what you were
2: saying. That's exactly what I was getting at because I think, you know, like I was saying, we existed in that weird point where things were starting to become more digital, but we're still in the little more like old school, like pound the pavement, put up flyers way. And I think that's the thing is like, it's unfortunate and it kind of goes to what I was saying about like wanting to own my own work is like that stuff only goes down if I choose for it to go down you know and we saw a lot of blogs get scrubbed and we saw a lot of sites just die and I think you know we we lost the documentation of how these things progressed and I think you know, part of music writing and part of, I think, effective culture writing writ large is providing that historical context because, you know, like you were saying, where someone may not see Husker du to Sugar and not see those connections. Those connections are as much about someone like Bob Mould as they are about the cultural shifts that are happening within underground music. Um, you know, I, I think, it's it's impossible to really take something out of its time because most things are a product of their time to some degree. It's, it's people wanting to make music that they're not hearing or they want to, like I said, in the normal pipeline of punk band to hardcore band to emo band, wanting to create something that's different or that they feel there's a vacuum for. And, you know, my big concern is that, like, I think the... 2000s are largely undocumented because it was messy and it was difficult. And it's really hard to go back to and find stuff. And I think, you know, my only worry is that like so much of these conversations, so much of these document, so much of this documentation was happening on Facebook events and uh, last FM events, which are now hard to track down. And, you know, I, I, just always, I'm always worried about us putting our faith in digital uh services always being there because i think we've seen we've learned the lesson that they won't be you know i've had to watch soundcloud almost die and get saved several times and what happens when soundcloud goes down what happens to all those songs that are only there yeah. what happens if bandcamp shuts down tomorrow what happens if twitter is done yeah y- huge full songs full um you know records of scenes are wiped away unless we're making an active like conscious effort to want to learn from the mistake that the as convenient as digital music is as convenient as only putting up a facebook invite is we are making our work and our scene and our community ethereal. And I think that's what we see post-2008 is it takes many years, but I think that's what it ultimately all works toward. Yeah, I mean, I wonder though, like when
0: I, well, actually, the first thing I think about is like when you think about like the collapse of digital, just for some reason thinking about like the movie Battlefield Earth, Mm -hmm. And just like, uh, you know, it's like uh, MySpace or all of that stuff is gone. And we only have like John Travolta as an alien, you know, looking at actual uh, like friction records or, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey Mercedes, like anything that was like a, um, you know, physical document. So, uh, but I don't even know where I was going with that. But um, mainly just kind of like, I guess, trying to like think about it by bringing it back, I guess, to good luck or even like thinking about like the fast punk of the time i feel like it's like it's almost like the scene didn't want to be documented in the way that things were being documented at the time so now Mm -hmm. as we talk about it like 12 years later um it's like we're like people need to remember it but i don't i think it was like it wanted to be a snapshot of its time you know Mm -hmm. and like it's like you know it might have had more in conversation with like even like defiance, Ohio, or uh, uh, this bike is a pipe bomb, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like we're not talking about that stuff either. People maybe no one's talking about this bike as a pipe bomb now. You yeah, know, yeah. I like, mean, you know, I mean, I've been thinking ourselves. about it a
2: lot because, like, we're uh, as culture shifts, we're due for a folk punk revival soon. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's the thing too. Is is what, what I think people miss is that. Yeah, you could like torrent music, but streaming music wasn't readily available. Jeff Rosenstock was doing quote unquote, which was a great resource into like a bunch of free records. But Defiance Ohio LPs, physical records, were $6. Yeah. Like, that's the reason Defiance Ohio was big. They were the most accessible band in terms of and i know cds were probably even cheaper like they were the most accessible band because everyone could afford it and it was everywhere because of no idea um so i think you know there is that point though a lot of these bands didn't want to be documented in that kind of mainstream way i remember early on in trying to like write about some of these bands on bigger platforms or trying to like convince them to do things. They were like staunchly against it. And I think that speaks to the other part of this too, which is not to say that emo and indie rock as they currently exist are like devoid of anti-establishment ethics. Um, but I think what we saw was those kind of, I I think we exist in a time where younger people don't view advertising and marketing in the same way that probably you and I do, and people older than us do, and especially Gen X people do, because that was very much seen as a negative. Advertising, marketing, selling people things, the commodification of culture, the commodification of music was an argument in the 80s through the 2000s. We were still, in 2008, we're talking about against me selling out you know, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about new wave I, I that even, sounds quaint now
0: yeah i don't even imagine an idea where someone would say that a band now has sold out
2: yeah and i mean i i wrote out. about it with uh drug church um where like i was having a conversation this was for vice when their last trigger came out and most of that conversation is me talking to pat hamlin being like yeah, the difference is now. Ten years ago, this is a sellout record. Present day, kids are like, "Oh, they're going for it." It's 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 become an optimistic thing. Like, "Oh, they're that's their big go for it record." And I hope they make it. And I like that people are more supportive of people deciding to do something different and like make more accessible music, be popular, do the big budget record. Like, cool. Like like I was saying earlier it's natural for people who have done a thing a lot to want to have a different experience and try something new. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's hypocritical, but I do think the pendulum has swung too far the other direction. And we need to come back to the middle and kind of re equalize and be like, okay, like, yeah, it's cool that people can make big budget records and they can still be like ethical people and do DIY tours and be part of this community. Um, But also like, fuck being sold the record fuck like having shit pushed down your throat through playlists and algorithms like we can find a balance between those two poles and i kind of think we need to
0: yeah and i i hope that's true but i think sometimes like i guess like being on the side where like i'm in a band that that those things help it's like you know, I, I don't like to kind of bring it back. So i like, I don't think every record needs to be recorded to a click. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, that's like, I've, I've been destroyed. Like, people have just destroyed me for saying that. Like, it's like, and they're like, well, you just like making shitty records. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I don't know how to explain it if you don't get it. But I don't think, and I could be completely wrong, but I don't feel like this good luck record was recorded to a click at all.
2: I'm sure (laughs) it wasn't like, it doesn't
0: feel like it was. And if it was, then sure. But you know, like it's like every record didn't have to be uh, recorded to a clicker. They just almost weren't at that time frame.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it goes back to the production style of music where you, it's so much easier to grid things and, you know, quantize them. But I mean, the example I always use is like, maybe this example will fall flat. Um, But the marked men, never recorded to a click you listen to those records and they're speeding up and they are some of the best like garagey pop punk records i've ever heard and then when i hear a band like teenage bottle rocket where it's just on the rails for two and a half minutes and every song could just be the same drum beat with the tempo adjusted from one to the next it loses something you know like I, i i it was what i was saying to you earlier about my divide between punk and hardcore and indie is that indie felt clean? And I don't like when I see that becoming a standard and an accepted standard yeah. for pop punk bands or hardcore bands or emo bands, you know? Um, and I think that's the thing is what drew me to emo, what drew me to good luck is that I was like, holy fuck, there are so many tempo changes on this record.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like it's like, it's like nowadays though, it's like I want that to be the case, but like I also don't want to like sacrifice my band for the idea of not recording to a click or something, you know, it's Sure. Like, and we usually go somewhere in between where it's like a song will start it on a click and then, you know, we'll kind of jettison it halfway through. And, you know, someone may listen to this and go, I can hear that. But, you know, it's like, you know, but well, it's like, but it's like, there's kind of a halfway point. Like you're saying the pendulum has, you know, gone too far, but it's like, you you know but you were you were kind of adding something so i'll let you go but but i
2: was the, the thing i thought of is two of my favorite records that came out within the past year were recorded fully analog with everyone standing together in the room blood incantations hidden history of the human race gulch's impenetrable cerebral fortress yeah and those records have caught the attention of a lot of people and it makes me wonder if there is something imperceptible that you can hear because how else would those two from very extreme reference points of like death metal and then like death metal inspired hardcore you know how would one of them get a best new music rating on Pitchfork yeah the it's because thing, it's different
0: yeah the gold thing getting like that recognition it's like you know, I, I saw like certain kind of Facebook groups, you know, talk about like, I don't, they were saying like, I don't want it covered on Pitchfork, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's not for them, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have that kind of knee jerk reaction, but I also go like, well, I guess if some kid, you know, it's almost like the Foo Fighters of like music. It's like, if a kid goes to Foo Fighters, and then they discover mm-hmm. like, whatever the next thing, maybe in the example earlier, they discover sugar, then I'm fine with it. You know, it's like, if someone hears whatever's going on and then gets to gulch because of pitchfork then great you know yeah but like but it's like i miss that I, that gulch record is like a great example and somehow we went from gulch uh, good luck to gulch but mm-hmm. it's like there's just like a human equivalent you know mm-hmm. it's it's that you can't you know I, but i feel like i'm like now outside of my body like wondering if i'm getting rocks thrown at me by someone that's like 20 you know
2: uh-huh.
0: like but it's like they're like fuck the human element or something you know i,
2: I don't know uh, well yeah <laughs> i mean it's tough but I, I i do think that's the thing is like i think certain things do stand out because they they feel different from what we are used to right and i think we were used to analog recording and, and recording to a click even before digital music um but I think we've gotten to a point where it's so easy to fix imperfections where there really are no sonic limitations. You know, you can put 300 guitars on a track if you want, you know, you can double vocals until the cows come home. And I think there is something to be said about people just standing in a room playing music. Cause like when I go see a show, I want that to feel like an experience I can't get anywhere else. And when you hear that on a record, it feels really incredibly pronounced. Um, so to me, I, I think there is this kind of weird thing where like, I'm not trying to be out out here being anti-technology. I'm not a His Hero is Gone song. Yeah. But like, I wish more bands sounded like His Hero is Gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the, you know, kind of punk side of the, uh, I guess, more melodic, like melodic punk, you know, it's like, it's, you either go one way or the other now, like there's not, there's just not punk as much anymore. And now I just totally sound like the oldest person in the room, but it's like, like, you know, even when I think about something like Super Mm Chunk,
2: you know,
0: I I can see where the punk came in. Yep. You know, it's like, it's like, there's like a shorthand conversation that I feel like I'm having with people that I feel like I can trace the punk, you know, where, if they came up in punk, even like stuff like mm-hmm. arcade chords. Like I can, I can see where that, you know, went from teenage cool kids. Like I can feel that connection mm-hmm. in the music. Um And there's something there almost like no matter what music you play.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I agree. I have a conversation with uh, my friend James a lot where we're always like, well, are, are they a punk? Like they come from punk? Cause like there, it was just like we were saying, 20 minutes ago about when you were getting all these records that sounded drastically different from different bands, but they were all punk. It is kind of just a feeling, you know, it's, it's the same as anything else. You watch a movie that's supposed to be funny, but you don't laugh, but then you watch another one and you're fucking cracking up. They are still objectively comedies. They are telling jokes. They just land differently based on the person. Based on that experience, and, and that's kind of how I view music. Is like, I can sit here next to literally thirty five hundred LPs that I own, and go through and be like, I think Billy Bragg's punk, and I think um, uh, Against Me's punk, and I think The Cure is punk, and I think you know like I yeah. can because it's just all stuff that resembles something that is pushing against something one thing it,
0: that gets kind of weird though in the conversation is like i i get really scared to be that person because i feel like one day i'll just be like trump is punk you know? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> or just like it's like it's like skiing is punk or you know i don't know you know whatever it is like whatever sort of like you know i went to the extreme example unfortunately but it's like it's like it's like but there's also a thing where it's like everything can't be punk but i agree 100 percent with what you're saying and yeah. it's like and it's like punk isn't you know and i think like maybe if someone's listening to this and they're thinking like i would assume they're not thinking of like a guy with a mohawk with you know mm-hmm. an exploited shirt like i don't even know if that means anything to anyone anymore like no. are there crust punks anymore like when i go to no. Fe- when i went to fest last year it was like there are no, there might be one Crust Punk in the streets or just a guy that hasn't showered for the three days, but there used to be roving bands of Crust Punk kids and they would show up to good luck shows. They would show up mm-hmm. to Man the Conveyors, like, you know, a uh, Crust band that no one probably remembers, you know, but like, you know, they would go to like Costa Christ, but they would also go to, you know, whatever I can keep kind of naming at the thing. It's like, that doesn't exist anymore, you know? so no. it's
2: like So I guess it's like time
0: is coming for us as well. <laughs> well you know? Here's the, the general general thing though.
2: guy. Here's the thing I, I've, I've had a conversation with, with a friend of mine, which you're like, that is true. At a certain point, it does become so nebulous that anything can fit. But at the exact same time, there is the difference between the person who's like, yeah, I'm punk rock. I like messed. And the person who's like, yeah i'm punk rock i like the subhumans and food not bombs and i'm gonna like w- table for this organization because yes there are the people who are like trump is punk but on the exact same wavelength do we get to a point where things like veganism are normalized without a band like earth crisis or a band like propaganda do we get to a place where these conversations we're having fucking in the national consciousness about abolishing the police get there if the seeds aren't planted within people through things even like body count or the constant anti-cop sentiment that bubbles up through 80s hardcore um, and continues Um, i think yes there is something to be said for the fact that uh, by it being endlessly applicable, it does become meaningless and often weaponized against itself. But I do think that when you really draw draw down deep enough, you see the roots of these ideas gaining footholds within popular culture. Like you can look to a band like Youth of Today to even go back to my veganism point yeah. uh, and really see the aesthetic change and the rebranding of uh things like champion and Nikes and streetwear culture, really beginning through them and then getting proliferated through skateboarding, which had similar ties and now obviously hip hop and rap have a huge part in this conversation as well, and i didn 't really get into those because that that is a separate world, but not entirely you mm-hmm. know um those things are often pushing in synonymous ways which is why i would call it something like body count which obviously Ice T was the front person for but you also have the beastie boys who were dominant in culture and i think one of the first acts in the 90s that you really see taking a more altruistic approach to being a musician with doing those benefits for tibet and being very again outspoken vegetarians and i think you get to this place where the normalization of these ideas are radical at first but they always come through art. They, they don't often come through policy. They don't often come through um, the more traditional means. I think they have to be driven by people who very much believe them and, and had them kind of given to them as yeah. young people.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately it's like, the work that people put into it on like the ground level is probably a positive thing as to where we are in the current climate of emo it's like it's like I don't I don't necessarily want someone to have to go back to like four dollar shows you know it's like and those still exist and I played them last year Um, and
2: that's my big crusade is against stuff like that Um, but it's
0: like also and it's like where you where you kind of tie in the conversation as like a society as a whole is kind of like where we where we really have to kind of like thread it all together um is that we probably still have $5 shows, $4 shows because, you know, like minimum wage hasn't gone up in 10 years. So True. if you say seven twenty-five an hour, you can't, it's like, you're asking, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I work at a venue theoretically mm. now, but yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I want shows to be $10 or more, but I also know that when I'm working door that night, I'm probably not even making minimum wage if I'm there till three in the morning. And Mm -hmm. that that whole conversation is a little hairier because you're getting paid under the table. But, you know, it's like, because we don't have $15 an hour minimum wage, like, you know, we, you know, it's like, there's this, I think like the main point I'm making is like, there's a conversation, all of this is having with society Mm -hmm. that's important to be had and put into consideration. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah.
2: I mean, and like I was saying about Defiance Ohio or like Jeff Rosenstock's a good example, or, I mean, all of this drills down to the discord model, or, I mean, I think even the crass model where it's like pay no more than $3 on every cover or whatever, um, music and art should be accessible because that's the, ex- in punk, in hardcore, in emo, it's the exchange of ideas. And those ideas are important. And those ideas carry weight and they surface in different places, um to draw out a band we've been talking about bridge and tunnel very political for what we would call an emo band and jeff their singer is now a school teacher like he is living that that's no different from pat flynn from half heart doing the exact same thing and those bands were probably sonically very different from one another yeah well
0: that's where you kind of mentioned like jeff uh jeff in the conversation like because i saw bridge and tunnel probably around this air around this time jeff is still someone i talk to you mm-hmm. know not like every day we're not buds but you know and, and even like sheena from lemuria it's like mm-hmm. it's like and i hope that's something that's still happening uh for bands it's like there was no pedestal and i hope that that isn't lost you know because i i do see a lot of like younger bands that just go straight to like a booking agent. and a lot of times that's like a regional booking agent but it's like you know and maybe that helps so whatever yeah uh, you yeah. know it's like it's you know but it's like that's the conversations they are having because they we were just having conversations like it's like jeff had to talk to me to get booked at a record store and blah 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 and all these people yes um so it's you know weird tangent i'm going on but it's like these were my peers and that's always what i wanted and i still wanted I still want to this day, like I want Mm -hmm. conversations musically with my peers.
2: And I, you know, I do believe that the younger generation is doing great work, making great music. And and I, I think for them, the music doesn't need to be as about these things because I think these ideas, thankfully, can be more of a given. And now, obviously, that's a little more optimistic because I'm sure there are a lot of young conservative assholes all over the world. Yeah, but I think to kind of try and put a bow on this a little bit (laughs) i think that's why that stuff matters i think that's why diy matters i think that's why punk matters i think that's why that era of emo matters is because regardless of how you felt about the sound regardless of whether or not you liked x y or z band or preferred x y or z band there needs to be a genuine counterculture within the subculture and i think more often than not, within punk, within emo, with all and all that, and I think you know we can have, we could have a much longer conversation about the misogynic misogynistic toxic toxicity of emo, in large swaths of its history. But a lot of that has been eradicated. A lot of that has been pushed out by people within these scenes, and I think we're seeing the mainstream adopt those protocols in a way that though imperfect, are better than what was happening before, you know? Yeah, and, I, uh, I mean,
0: I think that's that's ultimately an amazing thing to have happen. Like like you were saying with, like, Earth Crisis, it's like people are just vegan without knowing what the Earth Crisis or Youth of the Day is, and that should be a win, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. like, I hope that people remember good luck and Bridge and Tunnel, um, you know, but, like, I guess if they can get to the same places without, the kind of like you know, or, or even like Bridge and Tunnel, or Ladder Man, or um, there's so many bands we could mention. Like it's like like I, I guess I'm just agreeing with you because like maybe they don't need to have songs about like you know how housing is like a right, or you know, or mm-hmm. like you know, uh, being able to make a living, or you know, not so much I guess like the government providing for, but yes, that was in that they were all these conversations. They are just having those conversations. Those are innate things like straight edge or veganism that so we won that's,
2: yeah well i mean
0: we won we, we, we kind of
2: did like not to <laughs> not to be not to put the cart before the horse there's still no, a lot of work to be done but like yes you have justin Brannon from fucking indecision and in most precious blood who is an elected official yeah you have someone like aoc who people can quibble with her in, in very progressive circles and that's fine but like she's out there saying housing is a right she's out there fighting for a green new deal she's out there she's the embodying the eco-terrorist ideology that we see in 90s extreme crust records as an elected official we didn't really have that in the 90s No, we didn't really have that in the 2000s and like i yeah i'm not going to say that like punk should take credit for all these things but i do like i said i do genuinely believe that art is an incubator for ideas and when you see people like that showing up and doing that work and you can put on a subhumans record and hear the same thoughts or a crass record and hear same thoughts it's hard to not feel like that comes from somewhere you know we we have heavily tattooed people in office who believe in healthcare being a human right in a sustainable living wage and like housing for all. That's pretty fucking incredible. Yeah. And like I think that's ultimately, you know, my big hope and is that, you know, I think, yeah, maybe bands, emo bands don't need to have a song like Bridge and Tunnels Location, Location, Location. Um and maybe, you know, it would be a better world arguably if we existed where a song like that was completely obsolete yes but at the exact same time until it is i think there's always going to be an importance for those songs to be there and for more bands to be singing those types of songs
0: yes but i appreciate you taking the time
2: to talk to me um i guess like before i let you go where can people find you um i'm at db anthony on all, all the relevant social media uh my email is in my bio on my twitter so if you want to email me and talk about stuff you can do that uh, davidanthony.substack.com and i think that's about everything that uh you need to know about me yeah, this I is probably literally if, everything
0: you need to know about me yeah i would tell people to definitely subscribe too. I, I love that article um, that you did that kind of brought me back. It felt like I was like a veteran of the, you know, the 2008 Emo wars. And it just like well, well, thank brought you. it all back to me. But um, so definitely subscribe to your Substack and anybody else's Substack, but specifically you. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, yeah. it. Thank you very much. But thank you for taking the time.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Are you vegan? Or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic, vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it.
0: Oh, hey, uh, there you are. We're back. So thanks once again to David Anthony for taking the time to speak with me. It was a lovely chat. And speaking of which, uh, you should check out our previous episode with Eric Grubbs. He is the author of Post, and that's an awesome book that you should check out. Uh, we talked about Sunday Day Real Estate's album Diary. Check it out. And next week on the pod... We will have Bob Shedd, a co-host of Axe to Grind, a really awesome hardcore podcast. And we talked about something that is not hardcore, not technically. It is Rival Schools' album, United by Fate. A really great, uh, maybe underrated album. Um, I don't honestly feel like I hear enough people talk about Rival Schools as opposed to Walter's other band, Quicksand. So we'll talk a lot more about that probably in the chat. So once again, thank you for taking the time to check out this podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And mainly just share this with a friend. Every little bit helps. And thank you for listening so far and sharing it with a friend if you have. Also, just to wrap it up, thanks to Sarah Blumenthal for producing and editing this podcast and, you know, helping make it sound as awesome as it does. And on that note, hit the theme. I'm out, I'm spinning out